Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Are we loveless? I'm Danielle. Hey, everybody, it's an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics, and every week we interact with our amazing listeners, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. No, Paul from Gartarn is going to tell you all about it. Oh, no. (laughs) 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 It's a book club, and these guys are going to tell us what book to read and we're going to get our, our trades and floppies and hard copies <laughs> uh, we're going to read the thing and then talk about it and then we're going to think about what they said and give our feedback after some pitchy off-key uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then it's friendship Aww, yes, awesome. friendship. <laughs> that's great Paul from Gardahorn. Hey, uh, thank you, Paul. Yeah, yeah that was so awesome was talking guy. to Paul. I really loved that interview. Go back and check out our debriefing episode if you haven't to hear more of Paul from Gardahorn, our amazing musician yes. that we've had on the show. And thank you for giving us that little blurb there. The Kickstarter. We are almost at the end of the Whoa. line for the Kickstarter. Kickstarter for Drawing Monsters, the Mike Mignola documentary by Kevin Hanna and Jim Demonacos. Kickstarter. Kickstarter. By the time this podcast goes up, you have one day. We're in the last 24 hours for you to participate in the Kickstarter. Add another T-shirt yes. if you can. Add a postcard set. You know what I mean? Up your pledge if you can. Uh, put a pledge in there. Let's try to reach that final stretch goal. Get your and get your yeah, thoughts. put as much support behind all this as much as possible. I'm so excited for all the thing- new things that are being added. You know, they announced Patton Oswalt. Is now going to yep. be in the documentary. He was some of the voices in the Amazing Screw on Head animated, and they're going to mm-hmm. have a one of the stretch goals is they're going to have him talking to Mike Mignola about Screw on Head, which I would oh, love. Man. Oh my yeah. god, I would love that. Would for be both so amazing. Ones. So I really hope that we get that. I'm sure we will. So let's get those uh, numbers up. And the Blu-ray is now a two-disc Blu-ray, guys. Yes, that's exciting. <laughs> We're getting more postcards. We're getting a Drawing Monsters print. Um, just awesome stuff that these guys are putting out. And so I cannot put enough support behind this thing, and I hope that you guys will too in these last 24 hours. So awesome. I got some shouts-outs for this week. Shouts-outs. So there was a thread on Twitter from Tess Fowler, who's an artist. She was saying, what are some great podcasts that you guys are enjoying out there? And Ross Radke commented. Ross Radke. Book club member. Okay. He wrote, The Hellboy Book Club has built a really positive fan community around the intersection of folklore, rad comic art, and punching Nazis. Oh. And it was really cool. And then so there was a, we got a lot of followers that day because of that. And um, it was really cool. We actually heard from new book club member, Josh Day. Hey, Josh Day. New book club member. Yeah. At Josh Day Art on Twitter, he said about three years late to the party, but starting with episode one and reading along with you all. The podcast is great, even if you're a little late to the game. Thanks for the podcast. It's a lot of fun. If you're ever like, hey, I want to read Hellboy. I don't know what to do, how to get into it. You just can jump in there you go. literally yeah. anywhere and have people reading along with you. And talking about you know yeah. the story. And, it, and I think like even if you were out of order... You would go, oh, well, they're referencing this other story. What's that about? Yeah. You know, I want to go check that out, too. And you kind of learn about the connection. So, yeah, I hope you guys are enjoying the show. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along the time. 
We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Tom Barnett. Hey, Tom Barnett. Book club member. Says, Hey You Damn Guys, a few quick notes on Gates of Heaven. I'm so thankful that I reread this with the podcast. Upon first reading, I found the change in art style so jarring I didn't really care for it. After rereading it, I really liked it. The color work from Michelle Manson was amazing. Combined with the work on the previous volume and then on Reign of Darkness, maybe she should be considered for the Eisner, which should be called the Dave Stewart Award. should be. (laughs) Yeah. It's also great to see Panya being Panya. And the humor in Witchfinder really came through in this series. As a side note, there's a great picture book on the dinosaurs of Crystal Palace. It's a wonderful illustration by Brian Selznick of Hugo Cabaret fame. It is titled The Dinosaurs of Waterhouse Hawkins. Anyway, glad you made it through February in Texas. Thanks for the great show. P.S. I'd love to send you a copy of Waterhouse Hawkins book to you guys if you want it. It's such a well-done book. Oh, Cheers, wow. Tom Barnett. Oh, thank wow. you, Tom. Jeez. Yeah, we'll yeah. hit you up for that. I would love to check that out. Thank you. That's really um, Yeah, thank you so much. I have to check that out. And I'm so glad that you enjoyed the series. You know, I, um, I too, was kind of... I didn't really know what to think of Disraeli's work at first. But, like, it really... Same. Yeah. It, like, re- by, the, by the third, fourth, fifth issue, I was, like, so into it. I was and like, yeah. And it's really interesting that when you revisit something years later you can have a different perspective on it and oh yeah uh, appreciation yeah. for it and all that sort of thing so I, li- I love it when that happens so that's great yeah i will agree when i first started reading it i thought the artwork was a little but by the time i got through it by the time i got to the end i was i didn't even notice it i was just like this is great and you know obviously michelle manson definitely deserves an eyes <laughs> oh yeah no i'm glad to and we're going to talk about her work more in this story as well excellent thanks tom got a hey damn guys from lassie jurgensen lassie jurgensen Book club member. Yeah. Uh, hey, you damned guys. <laughs> the Witchfinder Penny Dreadfuls have come up n- on numerous occasions, and we've seen the Soho vampires a couple times. Am I the only one that would like a couple one-off in-universe Edward Grey Penny Dreadfuls? No, you are not. I think that we <laughs> yeah. would all love That'd that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we would We would dig that. Uh, he goes on. It'd be fun to see this sort of rendition of Sir Grey in a madcap adventure only tied to reality in the loosest of senses. Keep up the good work, Lassie Jurgensen. Yeah. That'd be yeah. fantastic. That's a great idea. You should get on that. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, whenever you uh, finish that up, hit us up. We'll, <laughs> we'll check it out. I'm excited to see it. You know, there was like a little hint of something like that in Mysteries of Unland. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. There was like a flashback right. or there was something where the cop and the detective and they was depicted like a penny dreadful. No, absolutely. I yeah. would love to see Tyler Crook pick that up again. Okay. And just yeah. do like a little, like a little promo item or like an in-universe. That would be so cool. I would be so into be that. Good stuff, yeah. Even if it was no. just like a backup thing, you know, in one of the issues, like yeah, just like a, oh, let, yeah, that would be perfect for yeah. Matt. That's a perfect format for Matt. Let's oh, get man. some of those Matt Strackbine two-pager penny dreadfuls. Gonna hit up Matt Strackbine <laughs> and be like, hey, got some, got some unpaid work for you here. I'm sure he'll be thrilled. Yeah, pay your artists. Yeah, no, I, it would be cool to see a Witchfinder Penny Dreffel, and you can uh, kind of like bundle it with some of those uh, crazy Lobster Johnson stories. Not the, not the uh, Mexican wrestler one, but the uh, the one with the big claw on his chest <laughs> that looks like the Phantom. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. cool. Some, a team up here. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Jules Oliveros. Jules Oliveros. Book club member. The Witchfinder theme song playing while John introduces the issues always gets me pumped and ready for book discussion. Okay. I wish the other titles would get theme songs too. Hey, Andrew Adair, yeah. get on that, man. <laughs> We're going to have some Hellboy in the BPRD coming up soon, so let's get a, a specific theme what for that. What about this guy? He could make them. 
You oh yeah, them. you do it. Yeah, you do it, Jules. Rereading these first two issues has been really enjoyable. Mitten's art and Madsen's colors really catches the eye and looks so dynamic. And the story has been fun so far. It's nice to see how the supposedly infallible Ed Gray is seen fumbling with his investigation of the Ripper in stark contrast to Sarah Jules' no-nonsense approach. Looking forward to reading the next three issues with the book club. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. And Tom Barnett responded to that comment. He said. The Witchfinder theme is so great. Anytime I think of the character, the music pops into my head. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's really good. The tune is so distinct, it fits the book and sets the mood so well. Props to the composer. That's to Andrew Adair. Andrew Adair. Yeah, so thank you again, Andrew Adair. Fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. We also heard from Mark Tweedell. Mark Tweedell. Book club member. Yeah. He said, Crows and Ravens are just super gothic, so they were like, hell yeah, we're a murder slash unkindness. Yeah. Like, they like it. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Tweedell says they like having that collective noun. <sighs> They're so chill, though. He also Hello. said, um, this is indeed the final arc of Sir Edward Grey Witchfinder. However, Sir Edward will return in a new series. Ooh. Dot, dot, dot. Oh. We'll talk about that when we get to the end of this one. He also said, um, so we know Sarah Jewell and Edward become part of the Silver Lantern Club. It's likely that Honora Grant does too. I'm really hoping Miss Go does as well because she's not really appreciated at St. John of the Cross Police Hospital. Anyway, I'd love to see the three of them team up someday on an investigation. Yeah, Sarah Jewell, Honora Grant, and Miss Go, that would sure. be awesome. That's a great book. Yeah. I want to read that. That would be great. <laughs> we heard from Drew Campbell. Drew Campbell. Book club member. How about that? I'm glad Aubrey brought up Jack the Ripper because with a ju- with just a few minutes left in the episode, I was getting ready to write a comment informing you of your oversight. <laughs> but I will take this opportunity to highly recommend Alan Moore and Eddie Campbell's From Hell. You're a fan of that book, right, Aubrey? I do own a copy of it. Okay. <laughs> This story is based on some of the theories that already existed about Jack the Ripper, but Alan Moore being Alan Moore, he takes it into some pretty crazy directions. Awesome. But in addition to the story itself, the book is filled with back matter that delves into the details of the various theories and discussions, why he included or omitted certain things. Basically, it includes its own John Salinas historical fiction research section, and it's possibly the densest thing I've ever read. It was originally published in black and white, but recently released with colors added. I highly recommend it. Nice. Awesome. I did not I did not know about the color added uh, version. I really enjoy the black and white one, even though, okay, I'll admit I haven't read it yet, even though I've owned it for several years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all have books like that. Alan yep. Moore is such a fantastic cantankerous weirdo yeah i love him so i love alan moore he's fantastic i know i know it's not a great adaptation but i actually also like the movie that they made out of it oh uh, right I yeah i, I mean as, as a jack the ripper movie i think it's a good movie as an adaptation it is a terrible movie <laughs> <laughs> right on we also heard from jerry turnbull hey jerry turnbull book club member a lot of regulars Everybody uh, really enjoyed the story. Okay. He said, um, a collective noun for a group of Mignola fans is a book club. Aww. Oh, yeah. There you go. You That's said to write true. in with your own made-up uh, like collective that. nouns. I like That's that. That's very sweet. Yeah, I love that. He said, this week's book talk... Book? <laughs> book? Book. Book. He book said, club. He said this week's book title was alluded to three years earlier in City of the Dead by the Tower Ravens. So I don't know if you remember in City of the Dead, the Ravens are up there and they say, when she returns, darkness reigns. And then this one's called the Reign of Darkness, right? So that's cool. I like that. And then we saw them. They say the goddess stirs, right? So it's picking up from that. I I didn't pick up on that. Thank you, Jerry. Quick books. 
He also said there was another connection that we totally missed. I was so mad at myself for not point for not. Uh, Don't be mad. It's a book club. Well, there you go. That's but I was like, happens. oh, I should have caught that. No, that's what. That's why it's a book club. Yes, I'm thankful for all of our members for pointing out those things. But when Sarah Jewell and Ed Gray are meeting in the bar, the painting "Death Riding the Elephant" is in the background. Oh, Remember, we saw that yeah. in Hellboy in Hell, wow. and Hellboy even talked about seeing that painting. Good catch. You know, and uh, oh, and they even show the painting. The issue is called Death Riding the Elephant. So, yeah, really cool. You see it in the background. I'll have to post a side-by-side comparison for the post this week. When I posted about the Tower Ravens, Eddie White said... Eddie White. Book club member. Book club member. Anyone else think they're Hunan and Moonin? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yes. yeah, that's cool. And it, it made me think of Bones of Giants, too, because they're following around Hellboy in that one, two, too, right? Two goofy brothers. Two <laughs> goofy boys. And Techpot said... Techpots. Book club member. That's right. When the birds talk, I listen. Uh, there you go. Wise oh. to advice. Yeah. We had an awesome comment from Hylonymous. Hylonymous. Book club member. He said, I think story-wise, the ancient Egyptians were really onto something with their mummification rituals, but they were so hard to follow that 99% of them failed. Then, by pure luck, in Panya's case, it just worked. No other reason for her longevity. Anyway, that's my pet theory. Cheers. Nice. I love that. That's so great. they're trying oh, to preserve the bodies, and it. all of them are failing, yeah. but they hit one of them that just okay. happens to work, and that's why she's still alive. Sweet. I love that. That is so smart, because we've never... I don't know if we've ever questioned like why is she alive? She's just we chilling. might have, but it was it was a long. If we did, it was a long time ago. <laughs> it was probably like three years ago. But yeah, they yeah. unwrap her and she just opens her eyes. They really preserved her. It works. You know what I mean? Wow, I love that. Very cool. You miss one hundred percent of the shots you don't take <laughs> when your mummification process is is going right. You gotta. You have to get it going. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're discussing Witchfinder. 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 Witchfinder: The Reign of Darkness is a five-issue miniseries. We're reading issues three through five today, which were published in January to March 2020. Written by Mignola and Chris Robertson, art by Christopher Mitten, colors by Michelle Madsen, lettered by Clem Robbins, and edited by Katie O'Brien. Let's talk about this issue three cover. We got this awesome depiction of Ponya. Hey, this is red. I love the little uh, the little birds on yeah, her shoulders. There, she almost looks like she's like an ancient sarcophagus, but it's kind of like it's her body overlaid with the temple. Really cool stuff. Good. Yeah, it's pretty nice. So when we last saw Ed Gray, he was pretty bummed. All his leads didn't pan out and his crew didn't believe him anymore. They withdrew all their support. But he's never given up. And he's been deciphering the code Mulder's to ask with journals. Away yeah. in the basement. <laughs> Remember, he got these journals when they um, got in Asquith's home. And I guess he's just been at home like trying to like yeah. decipher it this whole time. He's discovered that Asquith is working on something called the Great Working. Asquith writes of a primary source within the Heliopic Brotherhood. And so this would tie them to the Whitechapel and Spitalfield killings. And we reveal that Ed Gray's talking to Ponya. Now, does she normally have irises? I haven't never noticed this before. Oh, I don't know. No, right? Or am I remembering that incorrectly? No, she has irises. I think Lawrence Campbell... Are they just Campbell... usually grayed out? Yeah, Lawrence Campbell drew her with pupils, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're usually like a grayish 
color though. Okay. No, is this? Am I remembering this incorrectly? I don't know. Because here she looks kind of like Beetlejuice in this panel. <laughs> they're not normally that black, are they? Normally they're kind of a grayish. Oh, color, I don't know. Right? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah, no, this. maybe. I could be misremembering this, but anyway, it just struck me as very um, odd. I noticed that right away okay. on this page. I was like, oh. And Panya's like. Oh, I thought you just wanted to hang out and do high society stuff and yeah. be pals. <laughs> she asked Gray. She asked if Gray thinks she has anything to do with the murders. And he gets all flustered. And then she's like, I was only joking, uh, lol. Look at your face. You. Just joshing you. <laughs> I get you. Um, they talk about the references. She immediately calls him out. She's like, oh, you've made a number of references to uh, Hecate here. And Gray remembers the temple to Hecate underground that was featured in Witchfinder City of the Dead. Ponya says she doesn't know who the primary source is, but she still wants to help. And she leads Gray to this small garden. Um, we got to talk about the art here because yeah. uh, there is like a shift from them going inside. First of all, I love Ponya's like whole. We talked about this was Disraeli, but what they've chosen as her room. You know, and the way it looks with all the Egyptian motif is really amazing. Mm -hmm. But once they step out into the garden, really amazing work there. I like the big old floppy flowers. Yeah. I like all the uh, colorfulness that Michelle Madsen brings to these panels. Yeah, it's really nice. Ponya says the small garden is the only fresh air allowed by her quote-unquote hosts. And she also says it's out of earshot. I may not know about the primary source you seek, but I do know of a hidden entrance into the temple's secured vault, though the risks are considerable. And she's like petting this cat. And she says, cats are such resourceful creatures, are they not? Light on their feet, always finding ways into places they should not trespass in search of prey, and always seeking ways out of those places in which they do not wish to remain when a threat presents itself. And so I, I get the idea that she's taking control of the cat. Right. And she's discovering ways in and out of places through the cat because we kind of saw she can take over the little girl, right? Yeah. So if she can do that, then she can definitely do that with these cats. That's what I get. That's what I thought she was implying there, right? Oh, yeah. That's uh, what I was thinking, too. If if she's not controlling them, she's definitely, um, you know, hitching a ride along in their heads. Oh, right. Or like maybe reading their minds or something like that. Yeah. So we cut over to the Universal Temple of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra in Piccadilly. We've seen this before in the Disraeli and Ben Stenbeck Witchfinder series. Mitten does a great job with this, too. And um, we see these guys staying out guard. I love these columns. I know that's yeah. so not the point of these panels, but I just find myself looking at these columns. I think they're great. I love this guy that comes out with the pipe. You see the smoke coming yeah. out of the pipe? Anyway, he's, he's got that like, long bottom leaf. Yeah. They say that it's been quiet. And we see Ed Gray sneaking in. What are those? Those aren't... Uh, are they spats? Those are spats, right? I think they're spats. Why else would there be buttons on his socks? Those are spats, no? Spats just cover your uh, cover your shoes. Oh, I thought I don't they, think went they go. Up. I don't think. I don't think they go up your leg. There's not like a tall spats, like a like a long sock. I've reached the extent of my spat knowledge, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did you know that spats is a shortening of the word spatter dashes, which is a completely ridiculous word that I love. <laughs> yeah, let us know if you know what Ed yeah, Gray's what footwear this? here is. Uh, it goes all the way up. The, to the it's whole, some sort of stocking, up right? Up to the knee, yeah. it is going up. But there's clearly those are buttons. So okay, I don't know. 
Okay, so I'm looking at a, a picture of the spats on, uh, yeah, on the I Wikipedia. Yeah, I high spats, and all I found was, like, cosplay stuff. So I don't know if that was, I don't know, like... Uh, the, the one I see on Wikipedia has it kind of going up to the ankle, but it does have that same kind of button yeah, pattern on the side. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I love the look of all of this as he, like, sneaks into this underground passage... And there's all these, like, Egyptian relics. This made me think of Rasputin, the voice of the dragon. Remember, they went down underground. They found all these Egyptian relics. I wonder if the Heliopic Brotherhood, like, discovered that and brought some back. Or what is all this? You know what I mean? It just, I don't know. The Christopher Mitten artwork, it made me think of that because he previously drew some similar piles of Egyptian relics. And Gray, he's being so sneaky down there. He is. He's being very sneaky. And he sees these two scientists. One of them is really hankering for a quick bite and a cup of tea. I love also the rummage sale look of this place. Yeah, that's Sharing what I, like, yeah. yeah. Christopher Miller yeah. knocks that out, yeah. just like in, he did in Rasputin Voice of the Dragon. Besides, who will know the difference, the scientist says. And so this gives Gray a chance to go check out what they're working on. And he sees a man being experimented on in a lab. He's all hooked up and restrained. Gray goes over to assist yeah. him when fucked up. <sighs> yeah, you don't want that. It's a Dracula. Uh, it's a Dracula. It's a it's a Robo Dracula. And he recognizes Gray. Gray surmises that the Brotherhood captured one of Dracula's vampires at the end of City of the Dead. Mm. Remember, he called them all as his reinforcements oh, yeah, to come sure help did. him. Sure and Jurescu was also obsessed with Hecate, so this this is all the everything's starting to connect now, right? Mm-hmm. This guy is fucked up. He's like, ah, oh, you're the primary source. You're the one that they're getting all this information from about the rights of Hecate. But then just then, he hears one of the scientists, and he decides he has to get out of there. And there's this moment I thought, which was interesting. Yeah, he kind of felt bad for this guy. The Dracula, he's like, don't leave me like this. Just, just kill me. Yeah, please, fucking and, kill and me. And they even have have this panel he's where so his, sad his face is very sympathetic. He's a very sympathetic. And he's like, there, yeah. it won't take a moment. Aww. He's like, you could do it quick. You know what I mean? But <laughs> Ed, Gray, Ed Gray just takes off. So I wonder, yeah. like, what happened? He with looks this back guy? and then yeah. he just leaves. Like, yeah. I don't know, man. If someone, I don't know, that was very sad. Yeah. Very the the, sad the sympathetic well, villain, that's something that we talk about a lot oh, in I these stories, it. right? And fan. so I thought that was interesting. Well, I, I thought that he was just going to go run and hide. And then when those guys left, he was going to come back. But then, of course, that's not what happened. No. Right. He gets maybe, maybe that was his intention. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Poor guy. He's been there for so many years. How many years passed between City of the suck. Dead and this story? You know, so it's been a while. Five or six years, right? Yeah. He runs through all the garage sale shit. Yeah, there's a tense moment where, like, he's hiding, but then he just, like, crashes through all the stuff, and they immediately see him, and they know it's him. They're like, it's that bastard Gray. <laughs> the henchmen come after him, but Gray is too sneaky. Their, yeah, they're dumb henchmen outfits. <laughs> I know, and I wanted to talk about that. They've so got the good. whole, uh, like, that gold mask that yeah. you see, like, in the funerary mask for... Um, the Egyptian tombs, like they wear that around as the guards. Like, God. yeah, so Gray hides really well and he's able to escape. Over at Proserpine Home for Wayward Women, and I got to mention a pronunciation corner here. I was so irritated at myself when I was editing the episode. I kept saying Prosperteen. Oh, I see. That's an easy mistake to make. It's not. There's no T in it. <laughs> so, anyway, Prosper Proserpine is yeah. the name of it. And this is a reference to. The Arena Cottage, that one it had a little surname, too. It was called A House for Fallen Women. 
Jeez. So I think that's why they said Rude. home for wayward women. They're, yeah. they're playing off that same thing. We see Sarah Jewell and some of the women. And I love this beat, this first panel, because they're all just sitting there. Yeah. They're not doing anything. And then Sarah Jewell's like... Joan Cusack is giving a lovely performance here. Yeah, she's like, aren't you all bothered by this? Yeah. We're all cooped up in here. They haven't taught us anything. All we do is do chores and take their stupid questionnaires. And not allowed to come and go as we please, she mentioned. Right. So are they like... Yeah. Captives? Exactly. But Henriette is like, look, we get food and a warm bed and we don't have to work. This is awesome. You know, I'll do some laundry and and stuff like this. I also get the impression that um, they kind of hint at, like, it keeps us off the streets. Yeah. The street wasn't doing me any favors. It really feels like without this place, they really would be in a bad situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. They would no, be for sure. Living yeah. on the streets. And you talk about, oh, we don't have to, like, what kind of work would they be doing? Probably not something that they would want to be doing, maybe. So right. it's, you know, they feel like this is their only option. And this is very comfortable. They get food. They get a nice place to live. And so they're yeah. not really questioning it. They're not really looking beyond that, which is, you know. To be fair, if you're in that position where it's like living on the streets or this. Yeah, exactly. You know, so they're preying upon these very vulnerable people, which is obviously she's not having it. She's not having it, quite frankly. One of the other women agrees. She says, no one's interfered with me and that's good enough. Henrietta says, there's worse spots that we could be in. I wouldn't be so sure about that, Henrietta, Jewel says. Not so sure at all. Looking at this poster here. Yeah, she looks at the portrait of Proserpina by Rossetti. Over at New Scotland Yard, Gray tries to give his info to the chief inspector. The Heliopic Brotherhood has been squeezing the secrets of Hecate's rights out of one of the Jurescu's vampires for years and sharing them with Gordon Asquith. <laughs> he says they need to take control of the temple and arrest the members. And the chief inspector's like, no. Is... And he's like, wait, what do you mean? No to that we shouldn't control the temple or that we shouldn't arrest it? He's like, no to all of it. Skinner is, is <laughs> it says that that's right out. He's not going to tolerate this higgledy-piggledy any longer. <laughs> yeah, this chief inspector has had it out for Ed Gray since the last issue where he told him to go back to chasing table knockers or whatever. <laughs> Searching for fairies and witches. Yeah, he says... Um, Frankly, Gray, I don't care a brass farthing whether you like it or not. Now move along before I get you arrested. Oh, shit. A brass farthing is something that is worth very little, nothing or next to nothing. Farthings are obsolete British units of currency worth one quarter of a penny. Damn. Usually used in the negative and most often in the phrase not worth a brass farthing. So I just wanted to, I was wondering where that reference came from. And he just escorts Gray Gray out and he's like, goodbye and good riddance. And he slams the door on him. Jeez, that's fucking rude. So Gray goes out, and as he's walking out, there's these two cops, Ugh. the Bobbies, bloody witch finder. <laughs> witch finder. Witch finder. More like bleeding nutter, if you ask uh, me. Spooky. <laughs> spooky Mulder. And uh, so Gray goes over to get a, a ride home. It's a very fancy carriage. Yeah, he asked to go to Chain Walk. This is a historic road in Chelsea, London, in the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea. It runs parallel with the River Thames. So I've always wondered where Ed Gray lives. This is the first time they tell us. Is that where he lives? Yeah, because he's going home. Oh, is he? And so we've been to his home several times, but we didn't know. So it's a Royal Borough. So they're like apartments, I guess, for like royalty. Mm. And so like that, since he's under the Queen. He's part of the Royal Investigators. Yeah. So So, yeah. That's rad. That's rad. As they're pulling up to Gray's place, the doors open and he sees these two people run out. 
and he hears a smash inside. Oh, no. He goes in and he checks out. His place is all trashed. He's like, what the devil? And he can't find Bailey. Oh, no. And then he Bailey. goes up to his study. This is awful, awful, right? Yeah, all of his stuff is on fire. And Bailey's fucking dead. That fucking sucks. Yeah, and Ed Grace screams out. This really sucks. That's that like finding me out, Alfred right? yeah. dead. Like, that's fucking bullshit. I don't know if you remember, but when Swain and Gray were getting into it in front of his place, like, Bailey was staying inside with yeah. a shotgun. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he yeah. probably tried mm-hmm. to defend, like, yeah. or he probably tried to, you know, stop them, and they beat the shit out of him yeah, or something, man. man. So, like, you know, he went down probably trying to protect Ed Gray's stuff or whatever. But I'm sure that he probably would have preferred him to just run away or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, Ooh. that really sucks. You got Bailey. Man. That was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Hope the cook's okay. <laughs> oh right i hope the cook made it out or they had gone for the night or something over at proserpine home jules doing her chores and she overhears dr haldine and miss hibbert who i assume is one of the caretakers about limiting the movement of the women there and keeping them on a shorter leash and henrietta runs into jewel i thought this was funny because she's like oh where were you with the laundry so uh, I get the idea. Jules just walking around with a basket of laundry, snooping around. Yes, I and love it. And she's like, "If anyone stops me, I just pretend like I'm lost." Yeah, it's fantastic. But she almost breaks Jules' cover. There's a moment where Miss Hibbert comes out to check who's out there, and Henrietta says, "I figured you got lost or something." <laughs> I know exactly where I am. Jules responds. I love that. Yeah. She's like, she's figuring it out, right? She really does look like Joan Cusack. Yeah, like, no, honestly, she does. You can see it. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I love this chapter four cover. It's fantastic cover. We have Ed Gray hanging out here with these two Heliopic Brotherhood <laughs> members. So I guess um, this might be Anubis and Horus, mm. right? Based on their mass, we also see that's the Hecate's wheel on the ground. Good shit. We open with the Victorian ambulance, which is just like a regular stagecoach that just says ambulance on the oh, side of it. No. <laughs> Ed Gray's crew from St. John of the Cross Police Hospital have come to assist him. Manley and Lewis deal with the body of Bailey, and Mr. Silk and Ms. Goad talk to Ed Gray. Goad sympathizes with him, and Silk says that they'll catch the burglars. But Gray doesn't believe it's burglars, and he thinks that implication is absurd. Those bastards didn't just murder poor Bailey. They also burned Asquith's journals and all the notes on my case. It's all connected, don't you see? <sighs> They must be Asquith's accomplices, or else they are covering up for his crimes or something else. And Mr. Silk is like, get a hold of yourself, Gray. The Whitechapel murders have been officially closed. And they're like, yeah, maybe you should try to let go of this. We have your sympathies, but there's nothing further we can do. And they just leave him there. And he's like, fine. If the police refuse to pursue Asquith and bring Bailey's killers to justice in the bargain, then I shall simply have to do it myself. Yeah, so this is a, a an interesting take on the whole, like, I couldn't help but think of the women in refrigerator motif or whatever. It, it, it doesn't, doesn't quite it, strike me as that. I just thought it was uh, interesting how that kind of, it does serve to motivate Ed Gray further. Right, but in serials like this, people are going to die. Right, you yeah. Know what I mean, and so was that character introduced just to die? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. So it's Yeah, they've had possible. him for a couple. He's been with them since City of the Dead, I think. Yeah, so, so it's like, you know, was that decision made like, oh, who can we kill off? You know what I'm saying? Like mm, That's kind of different right. as opposed to literally just putting a character in there so sure. you can fuck them up. That makes sense. Over the next month, Ed Gray tracks Asquith. 
And I love the art in here. So there are some fabulous articles by Mark Tweedo over at Multiversity. As these issues were coming out, you know, they came out at the end of 2019, early 2020. So they're pretty recent. Mark actually got to talk to Christopher Mitten, Chris Robertson, and Michelle Madsen as each issue came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, nice. And he had some really great notes. So you can check that out um, if you go over to multiversity you can um that'll be some good additional reading yeah reviews. and i i included some uh, some of that in the notes here but if you really want to get all that but um i love it because they talk about specifically that there were notes about ed gray looking increasingly haggard yeah yes the you dark know? circles under the eyes like more wrinkles and, and i think if you look at these three panels of him yes. going down yeah. over the next like month you really can see that yeah the lines in his face and they they put those dark circles under his eyes and it's very uh Sneak scene all around at the Dominion Club. Yeah. Gray finally sees Asquith's accomplice. So remember, we saw Asquith gain in a carriage with someone, but we couldn't see their face. Now we see it's fucking Liam Neeson, oh, August shit. Swain. Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson is my Yeah, he's there. And so I love this. Gray jumps into another carriage and he's like, follow that carriage. And an extra guinea in it if you can do it without being noticed. Uh. And so the guy's like, yes, sir. Are you going to tell us what a, what a guinea is? Of course, you know I Excellent. am. <laughs> the guinea was a coin minted in Great Britain between 1663 and 1814 that contained approximately one quarter of an ounce of gold. Oh, shit. Um, I did look these up. Depending on the condition, you can find some guineas from this period from the late 1800s, you know, anywhere from $300 to like $1,500, $2,000, depending on the grade Ooh. and the condition and all that kind of stuff. Jeez. Um, but you can find them. You can find them out there in the wild. It's pretty cool if you're a coin collector. It kind of made me want to like. Oh, I wonder if I could track down like a low grade one. Sure. You know, or an ungraded one. You know what I mean? That's maybe like not in good condition for you know a couple hundred or maybe. I got less. a couple oh, yeah. of neat coins. They're not worth yeah. much, but they're kind of neat. So I I get that compulsion to be like, oh, what's a neat coin? This yeah, is a neat yeah, coin. yeah. This is cool. So. I kind of want one. A quarter of an ounce of gold. That's pretty cool. <laughs> the work here, uh, uh, this bottom panel as the carriage is following the other one. So it's just really amazing. Throughout this whole series, I'm just so impressed with Mitten and Madsen's work on this book. And of course, Asquith and Swain lead Ed Gray to Proserpine Home. As they enter, Gray overhears them talking about whether the bloody thing will work after all its cost. And look at this bottom panel. I mean, I love the way this page is framed because, like, the panels with Asquith yeah. and Swain are kind of over... See our two friends here? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. The, the two birds there in the carriage in the background. But just Ed Gray, the no, framing, yeah, all the like trees behind him and the leaves. He's gone it's, full psychotic molder. I know, but and, and they really, I don't know, the the art really conveys that, even though it's just a silent panel yeah. of him looking. No, it's fantastic. So, it's, like, creepy. Determined. it's a creepy yes. carriage over here. You're right, the composition is very good. I just love that panel. It really stood out to me. Like the trees and all that kind of end up framing the, uh, the top panels of it as well. It exactly. Kind of, oh, right, yeah. It's really cool. That is such a great effect. I love it when artists do that on this book. There's a really nice page here as Ed Gray tries to sneak in. You know, he's trying to figure out a way in. And Mark Tweedo actually talked to Chris Robertson about this, about how there's a lot of silent moments. Chris Robertson said, I typically focus on physical movements of the characters in the panel descriptions, where they are in the scene and what kind of posture or expression they have, and leave decisions about the layout to the artist in most cases. In this instance, the descriptions were pretty sparse, and I trusted that Mitten would be able to make it work without any unnecessary dialogue. 
So yeah, I like that. Pretty cool. Nice. And I love the transition here, right? Because the voice starts coming from inside the Proserpine home, then we focus in on the window, and then we're in the room where they're talking. That's a really nice transition to Miss Hibbert and Lady Evelyn Whitcomb Price addressing the women inside. Remember, we figured Lady Evelyn was in cahoots with Asquith when she was his alibi in the last issue. Miss mm-hmm. Hibbert tells the women that Proserpine Home was established with a special purpose in mind, and tonight is the culmination. Lady Evelyn tells the girls that they are to go to their rooms and tuck themselves in bed, and she calls them poppets. In folk magic and witchcraft, a poppet is a doll made to represent a person for casting spells on that person or to aid that person through magic. So she's specifically calling them what they're going to... The, yeah. Kind of what but they're... But it's also... I mean, it's they wouldn't have thought anything of it because at the time that was yes. used as a term of endearment. Yes, exactly. So yeah. it's kind of... I like that. Interesting. Yeah, that's neat. Mark Tweedo also talked to Michelle Madsen about the contrast between... Ed Gray's home and some of the environments that we've seen there, which are very kind of like brown versus like the the environment here at Proserpine Home. Michelle Madsen said, my thought was Gray's home is colored very neutral and masculine. So I wanted Proserpine Home to contrast that palette, but still stay somewhat historically accurate. Mm. But yes, I twisted the greens a bit so it didn't feel too welcoming. I really do enjoy myself on these books, and working with Chris Mitten is always a treat for me. I would work on Witchfinder forever and be a very happy colorist. Nice. But I like that oh, the, awesome. the green has like a sickly no, see, I like feel the sage to it. Green. You know it's a I very mean? comforting color okay. for me, so I'm like, this is, this is nice. I, I love that. I thought that was a great uh, insight into her work. As the girls file back into their rooms, Henrietta's starting to think that something's up. Uh, uh, earlier, they were like, we like it here. This is fine. And now they're like, uh, what's going on? Sarah Jewell tells her to watch her back, and she notices some guards in the hallway. Look at this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, so we cut to this guy. Uh, we were talking about the outfits earlier that, that the Heliopic Brotherhood wear. We see one guy here. He's in a Horus outfit. And uh, I did want to talk about this because he gets distracted by a mouse. He, and he points the gun right, at the mouse. This is literally <laughs> just a Venture Brothers. Yes. This is a Venture Bros <laughs> gag. Like... This whole fucking thing with these guys in these masks. They did this on Venture Bros. And, when did uh, this fucking come out? And uh, this this is uh, 2020. Yeah, these so, issues. yeah. And then Ed Gray cracks him on the back while he's uh, distracted with a gun. But um, <laughs> did, did Ed Gray catch the mouse and let it? Like, how did the... I don't know. I just... What is... I, I, I don't know. I think about this way too much. I'm like, did he disturb the bush and a mouse ran out? Or did he catch a mouse and, like, use it as a distraction or... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, where did the mouse come from? I could uh, see Ed Gray capturing a mouse and then chucking it out in front right. of the dude. He's got, like, a little piece of, like, beef jerky in his pocket and his waistcoat. And he, like... More like cheese. Uh-huh. There you go. And then Ed Gray, he takes that guy's outfit and he puts it on. Yes. I love this. So This is just Venture Bros. We, we, we had the follow that car trope. Yep. And then now we have the I'm putting on a Stormtrooper outfit trope. You know well, what I mean? It's a henchman or whatever. outfit. <laughs> yeah. It's a henchman outfit. I love this. I just love how they are able to work in these kinds of things into a Victorian style. You know what I mean? Like, they're able to tell. Oh, yeah. I just, I really enjoyed that we got those. T- I was like, I recognize those things, and those are awesome things to happen in a Witchfinder <laughs> comic. These things just look so ridiculous for henchmen to be wearing. I mean, seriously. How can you see out of those things? I don't know. 
I don't know if anybody's ever put on a mask, like a full face yeah. mask like that, but you cannot see out there's of those no, damn yeah, things. There's no peripheral vision. <laughs> All you see is like the mask. Yeah. I just hear Doc Cameron Jackson Public doing ridiculous voices this, uh, for this whole entire <laughs> for these bit things. here because this is... Cold. Hold on, I gotta... Bless you. Oh, great. It's all full of spit now. And it smells like a wet cat. It's good. It's good stuff. I love it. And one of them, he even says, I can't keep all those bloody steps straight in front of me. Yeah, so they can't see, you know, they're bungling around in there. Well, no, he's talking about he can't keep the uh, the bloody sh- step straight in his head. I think he's talking about the ritual and not oh, actually walking. okay. I thought he was talking about the, the actual steps that they're walking oh, up. Oh, but no, he's talking about, yeah, he's talking about in the, the ritual, but that is, yeah. It's probably the same. He probably can't see the steps and he can't remember <laughs> <Sure>. the steps. <laughs> in her room, Sarah Jewell is not tucked in bed. She's listening outside. And I like that we can see what's in the hallway, even though she can't. Look at these fucking goons. And it's all these Heliopic Brotherhood goons in their garb. And um, so I, I was looking at the mask here, you know, I was thinking there's kind of like the man face that's kind of like maybe that's raw. Or we well, kind of there's the ibis mask. Yeah, there's that the we ibis were just mask. Talking about. Um, we see the Horus mask and the Anubis mask. I was actually looking through some ancient Egyptian masks. There were a lot of masks of Bast, the cat. Yeah, and we don't see any here. So what's up, Heliopic Brotherhood? Like, huh? y'all don't dig Bast, guess, the the cat not. god or whatever? Maybe they're allergic to cats. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Evelyn addresses all the goons, sneezing inside of their masks and shit. <laughs> And she tells them, as soon as the word comes from downstairs, I expect you to get to work. And if you should need any help remembering the procedure, just consult the diagram, yes? And so the diagram, it's that portrait of Proserpina with all the little things, and I guess that's where they're supposed to, like, stab them or something like that, right? Inside, Sarah Jewell is like, I just can't hang around here waiting for whatever's coming. And she looks over at the fireplace. Above the mantle is the portrait of Proserpina. Prospertina? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And again, uh, this next page, Ed Gray sneaks off from his partner in the other Heliopic Brotherhood costume. He's stumbling into weird rooms. Yeah. All and the this time. other guy, he's like, Reggie, where'd you run off to? <laughs> I love that one of them's called Reggie. <laughs> uh, so good. And Ed Gray, he finds this summoning circle with this weird contraption. He's trying to figure out what all this equipment is when he overhears somebody talking. And if Mr. Asquith's calculations are correct, then tonight's new moon will only serve to amplify the effect. And so Ed Gray goes and he runs to hide behind a curtain. Now, we're going to show later that it's this huge bellowing curtain. But when I saw this pen, I was like, what? Is his, are his feet going to be sticking out of the bottom? You know what I mean? Or something like that. You know what I mean? When you see like people yeah. hiding behind a curtain. In a, I don't know. That's another kind of trope. It's good stuff. But anyway, we're going to see that it's actually like this huge bellowing like stage curtain where he's got plenty of room back there. Anyway, we get this scene where we see all the villains and we realize this is a whole operation. August Swain, a.k.a. Liam Neeson, Miss Hibbert, Dr. Haldine and Asquith, and Lady Evelyn Whitcomb-Price, who's over with the Heliopic Brotherhood goons. They're all working together to fund this project. And so I figure the Jack the Ripper killings are Asquith and Haldane experimenting on the bodies to find the correct parts in the diagram. You know, because the diagram Ah. is like, we're going to cut them up in a certain way. And like the Jack the Ripper killings, like a lot of people thought they were surgeons or doctors because of the way they cut up the victims and stuff like that. So it's like, it's this twofold thing, you know what I mean? And so maybe 
those killings were like the experimental phases of trying to figure out what they needed to do or how they needed to build this diagram of proserpina or whatever. They're going to do something with this machine, obviously. They're going to kill all these ladies. They're all ready to start the procedure, except for Asquith, who says that he would feel more comfortable if they had more sacrificial subjects as a backup just in case. But they just ignore him, and they say, we're ready to proceed. They call Lady Evelyn, and she gives the word. And when she says, gentlemen, let's begin, it says clang a bunch of times. Clang, clang, clang. And I couldn't help but think of Hellboy in Hell, right? Clang, the knife is going down when after Hellboy kills Satan. And they go into uh, Sarah Jewell's room, but they don't see her there. And while they're looking around, they get clocked on the head with a fireplace poker. Jeez. And then she gets the other guy, too. I love that. She says, chuckleheads. I thought that was interesting. Um, Mid-18th century from early 18th century, chuckle meaning big and clumsy. And so it was so interesting in looking up the term chucklehead. I came across this graph showing the popularity of the term. Okay. So it was like... I like chucklehead. Early 1800s. I like knucklehead, too. Early 1800s, that's when it was first kind of introduced, and then that's when it was very popular. All right. Then in the early 1900s, which is around this time that this story is taking place, then again in the 1950s. Okay. And then more than ever in 2019. Yeah, chucklehead's a good word. Chucklehead has come back. It's good. Oh, wow. That has been a lasting word since 1800. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I like to have a more benign (laughs) thing. To, to say, to refer to, ah, this this chucklehead. Right, exactly. You don't, yeah. Because you don't want to use super strong language all the time. Yeah. You want to be able to just, you don't want to be like, this fuck face. <laughs> this fucking, you know, you, sometimes you just want to be like, look at this chucklehead. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Anyway, <laughs> little deep dive there on chucklehead. And I love this next panel because Sarah Jewell steps out. She sees the Heliopic Brotherhood goons attacking another group of women, and she just goes over and closes the door. We don't even have to see what's going to happen. You know what I mean? I think that is so cool the way they did that. Like, we're confident of this character's abilities. We don't have to see her actually take all the guys out. We know that she's going to do it. You know what I mean? We know she's going to get the job done. Back with the experiment with Dr. Haldine and Miss Hibbert, there's lightning crackling in the air. And we get this line by Swain where he's like, couldn't we have soundproof the walls? Because I guess he's hearing all the ladies getting killed or whatever. That's Ugh. awful. Fuck you, dude. If you can't stand murder, you know, right. don't be in the murder business or whatever. <laughs> it just seems so stupid to me. Yes. <laughs> and here's where we see Ed Gray behind the curtain. So he's got plenty of room back there. And he's like, this has gone on long enough. And he comes out with the two guns. I love uh. Ed Gray with the two guns, man. That is so cool. Nobody move. And they're like, they're like, you meddling fool. Why doesn't he just shoot them all there? That's what he should do. But he's like trying to get their information. He really wants to know what they're doing. This is so amazing. Oh my God. I don't know precisely what it is you're doing here, but it needs to stop immediately. And they're like, ah, you're just waving guns around. And he's like, I'm here on the authority of Her Majesty the Queen pursuing justice. And Miss Hibbert says, I doubt very seriously that my friend Victoria would agree with you. So now we know Miss Hibbert is also tied into the royalty or whatever. My friend Victoria. Exactly. Oh, they're on a first name basis. All, these guys running in here. all the goons come in and now Ed Gray's surrounded, not only by them, but the Heliopic Brotherhood as well. Yeah, a little standoff going here. And Gray's like, now I want answers. 
Just what the devil are you doing here? Some sort of ritual sacrifice on an industrial scale? <laughs> I keep saying that, but I'm, it just is. Swain is like, look, Gray, look, I offered you to be in the Brotherhood. You know, you can still join us. You know, this is stupid. Just step aside. Let us carry on our thing. You can be a part of it. You're all under arrest. Gray's like, enough. Consider yourselves under arrest. <laughs> and Miss Hibbert says, nonsense. Oh we have seen to it that you are discredited in Scotland Yard and your judgment called into question at Buckingham Palace. And you presume to make demands as you stand before us outnumbered and outgunned so they've been pulling the strings to make sure that he's being discredited this is why everybody's losing like nobody's following up on his leads they're behind the chief inspector and mr silk and all of that yeah when i when i read that i was like ah okay so that makes a lot of sense yeah, because right. uh through like the last the last couple issues you know everything was just coming up short for him and it's like ah so there are some people just actively working to discredit him yes and i wonder if it's like because this is like a five-year jump from the last story to this story i wonder if they started that like years ago and then slowly been working it or has it just been the last year since the uh the ripper murders right right he's an annoyance his superiors he's a joke to his peers (laughs) that's what they say about Mulder. yeah i'm an annoyance to my superiors a joke to my peers they call me spooky Spooky Mulder, whose sister was abducted by aliens when he was just a kid and now chases after little green men with a badge and a gun, shouting to the heavens or anyone who will listen that the fix is in and the sky is falling. So Miss Hibbert and, and Swain and all of them are the syndicate. They're the fucking syndicate. To Mulder, but against Ed Gray. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So we've got like Venture Bros slash X-Files. I'm I loving love this. I love this. Yes, yeah. this is fantastic. It's everything I've ever wanted. And just when they say that Ed Gray is outnumbered and outgunned. It's just a group of ladies with fire pokers and guns. Not <laughs> anymore, he ain't. This is fantastic. Yeah, these are, the, uh, these are the ladies that Sarah Jewell helped, and now this she's is, got her own crew. This is excellent. And I love this line. Miss Sarah Jewell, Gray says, it appears we were both pursuing the same case from either side and arrived together at the end. Yes. Good stuff. Seems so, but I still can't figure out what these yahoos were trying to accomplish with all of this. It's another excellent burn. If you don't want to use okay. super strong language, you want to see what are these yahoos doing? I should have looked up that one. Too. These yahoos. That's a that's a good one too. And Gray says, "I very much fear that we are about to find out." Oh, shit! Oh and shit! We just get a taste Uh-oh. of some of the madness that we're going to see in it's this final good, issue. Though. I'm excited. You know, that's my shit. Yeah, we see the like this swirling, kind of undulating. Oh, yeah portal opening up we see a woman's face in there and some snakes i love to see the dark goddess hecate coming out of an undulating portal i'm a big fan of this this cover (laughs) this cover this cover is fantastic it's outstanding yeah i just uh i I, i'm so glad uh you're enjoying that i I really have to go on about this cover so yeah you know um i don't know if you remember in the 80s and in the late 80s early 90s there was like this red transparency like you know, the, the Transformers would come like this red transparency so you could look at all their stats or whatever. Yeah, and, I remember those. And, and and it just kind of reminds me, like, it kind of, this cover kind of made me feel like there's almost like a, like, there's a veil. There's like almost yeah. like a red, there's like, I almost felt it like a red transparency between our world and this cosmic world. Interesting. Or something. Like what Michelle Madsen mm. does with the colors here. Where there's this red kind. Of, do you see that? Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like yeah. the the way that she's de- uh, made that delineation of like the veil is so thin that we never see it, but it's always there. It it, it almost seems yeah. like a little fuzzy too. Yes, yeah. on the other side, but it's well, like the lighting is very ah, uh, it's just 
fantastic. Yeah. The Black Goddess. Uh, There's a little bit of Kali going on in there. Which yeah. I love. Yeah. I love that. This is the more traditional version of the Black Goddess that we see. And I like how these are interchangeable. Sometimes I wonder if when we see Hecate, maybe other people are seeing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not seeing the woman with the snake mm-hmm. hair. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe they're seeing more of like this one. Because I think this is the vision that. Uh, Diesel saw before he turned into the Black Flame yes. was this version of Hecate that's kind of like more the Black Goddess motif. So, so cool. I'm really enjoying these Witchfinder books a lot. Yes. Like I, a lot, a lot. I think um, reading these last couple all back to back has really benefited the series. You know what I mean? Yes. I think like it, it, it's just a testament to how well these books are written. Like, I think if you just take the the six, we're on the six Witchfinder volume. I think if you take all six and you just read them on your own, like that's a great story. Even if you haven't read the other stuff or Hellboy in Hell and all that kind of stuff, you could just read those and go, ah, some Victorian horror. Very cool. We open up Gray still trying to figure out what they're doing there with the experiments. Before he can get any answers, the portal starts opening. This second page is so incredible as, like, she's starting to manifest. You can see, like, the hand coming through. It's really amazing. So, again, there are some great excerpts in those interviews that Mark Tweedell did with the creators of this book. Christopher Mitten said, This sequence and this take on the character was really enjoyable to draw because just based on what's happening in this scene, how Chris had written it, there was quite a bit of flexibility. Hecate, more or less for her whole time in this issue, is still in the process of being conjured. I like the cloud snakes. Yeah. Yeah. She's trying to take her true form. So with the exception of a few panels, mostly, I think, on page 11 and the first panel of page 12, she's largely this swirling, undulating sort of vague form at the center of the room. I dig it. Stuff like that's always a lot of fun because it allows for a more expressionistic approach, just creating huge areas of shape and movement. Hell yeah. And Michelle Madsen said... I tried to color Witchfinder in a more subdued palette, but when they fired up the machine at the end of issue four, I wanted to break from all that and just go nuts. Now I had realized that most of the issue five would be continuing the same scene for as long as I did. I would have started more subtle and built up the transition to blues, but I'm happy how it turned out. And yes, I was referencing the blues from issue one, which was referencing how the blue-black Urshigal was colored before. Letting an artist go nuts is yeah. good stuff. I'm, I'm a fan of that. Yeah, and the, the colors do really ramp up in this last issue. Yeah. As all the lighting and everything is going on, like, Edward Gray is still trying to get his answers, and finally he just grabs Swain, and he's like, no more lies, no more dissembling, I want answers. And Swain says, we're laying bare the greater mysteries with the electric eye of science, conjuring up the darkest forces imaginable, harnessing them for our own end. At least that is the intention. So I think he even realizes, like, this is not going well. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to harness mean, this for our own end after all. <laughs> when he said, when he says we're harnessing the darkest, why? Yeah. I mean, just why? <laughs> no, nobody's trying to harness like, you know, sweet, fluffy bunnies and kittens for power. <laughs> no, they want to just go straight to fucking evil. Yes. Morons. Never works. <laughs> and, Knuckleheads. Yeah. And Asquith uh, this whole time is like trying. Remember, he was like, oh, I don't think we're going to have enough souls. And now that Sarah Jewel got away and all this kind of stuff, we see the machinery is starting to fuck up. At this point, Lady Evelyn and Haldine, they're like, oh, maybe we should 
watch this from a more protected place or whatever. They're like, maybe basically let's get out of here. The moment when the fucking clown ass villains discover that they are about to seriously fuck themselves over is always such a chef's kiss moment. It's always just like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. (laughs) And Henriette is there with Sarah Jewell and they're like, leaving already? You two are owed a beating, I'd say. (laughs) I love that. Very good. And again, just amazing work as Hecate is being conjured. You know, I love like her face is coming in now. All the snakes are starting to come in now. Basically, Asquith is saying like, the summoning circle is meant to summon Hecate. The sacrifices are meant to appeal to Hecate to conjure her up. And then the electric field is meant to contain her. Yeah, right. And he keeps calling it the entity. And so Ed Gray is like, the entity, do you mean to say you're calling forth? Yes, her, Asquith says. We get a good little action beat here with uh, Henrietta and Sarah Jewell against Haldane and Lady Evelyn. It's not really an action beat because they just take them down immediately. And they're even like, come on, Haldane, one punch in your drop. Where's the fun in that? (laughs) Golly. She did punching with the revolver to the jaw. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and so Gray's like, look, clearly this isn't working. We need to end this now. But Asquith says the summoning is already in process. And even if he could cut it off, it would just cut off the power rig that's supposed to contain her. If Hecate does manifest, nothing will be there holding her back. So finally, Miss Hibbert, she gets tired of all this. And she's like, listen to me. She starts addressing Hecate herself. Uh, uh, when has that ever worked? At one point, Asquith says... Maybe if we had more sacrifices, it would work. And so these henchmen come out and they're like, oh, we'll do some more sacrifices for you. But then the ladies are like, no, y'all are going to be the sacrifices. And so they start fighting and the women actually take out one of the Heliopic Brotherhood members. And then he gets all sucked up into the Hecate magic or whatever. We cut to the ravens outside. The goddess stirs. Oh, shit. She hungers. Like that last sacrifice did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then Hecate manifests. Oh, shit. Who disturbs my slumber? Yeah, I love this. <laughs> Very cool work. This is amazing. I love this effect as she finally manifests. Um, Man, yeah, it's Hecate fantastic. looks freaking awesome She's right here. good. She's looking good. Yeah, and you really do see, like, if you go back and look at some of the previous panels, like, they really do, like, she's coming out of something, no, yeah. you know what I mean? And um, I really like that gradual approach. Lady Hibbert says, I have gone to considerable trouble and expense to summon you, and you will do my bidding, or else I will have you sent back into the void. Am I understood? <laughs> and Hecate says, leave me to my slumber. Yeah. I love that, because she's like, uh, I'll go back to the void. Yeah, I was, I was chilling there until yeah. you pulled me out over here. But she's like... Yet I still hunger, and she reaches out and she grabs Miss Hibbert and pulls yeah, her into I don't the know void what with she her. Was thinking there, that is awesome. And so I wonder, like, is Miss Hibbert becoming like a black flame? It, could she possibly come back somehow, or what happens to her? Does she just totally die, or does she become something else? Does she become void. part of Hecate? You know what I, I mean? Think, so I, I think Hecate took her as a snack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, it also... You gotta have a snack in the void. Yeah. But also, you remember in... I don't know if you remember in Hellboy Darkness Calls, there was a story about um, a different witch finder, Henry Hood, and the devil came out and snatched him 
and it's a big hand coming oh, yeah. out of the woods to grab the guy. Oh, right, right. yeah. And now, I kind of saw a parallel with that here as Hecate, her giant hand come and snatches up Mrs. Hibbert. Snack That's really time. cool. Yeah. After that, Asquith is saying that the energy buildup is too great, and the whole thing is going to blow, right? And so Gray's like, you can say the rest from your jail cell. They decide to get out of there. And we see at the very end, Haldine is left in there with the Heliopic Brotherhood goons, and then it all blows up. So those guys totally died in there. Lady Evelyn probably died too. Pretty much everybody that was in the building, except for Asquith. Outside, they ask if everyone's all right. What was all of that, Sarah? Henrietta asks. Just dessert, seems to me, she says. The noun dessert is very old, and it used to be like like the desert, you know, like the later, the second S wasn't added to dessert until much later. The phrase just desserts appears in the late 1500s, a just dessert for such impiety. So he's asking uh, Sarah Julie, he's like, oh, what are you going to do now? She's like, well, I'm not going anywhere. These these women need to be someplace safe because they don't have anywhere to go and all this stuff, which I think is really interesting. I think that's cool that she's now she's like taking responsibility for all these women and she's like well got to make sure that they're taken care of and gray says that he's going to take asquith and make sure that he's brought to justice so it's justice you're after then justice for the living gray responds and a peaceful rest for the fallen victims this kind of reminded me of the lobster too in a weird way you know when she says so it's justice you're after like how could you forget You know, the lobster was all about justice. So, again, that single-mindedness, I couldn't help but see a parallel there. As Gray's delivering this line, I love this transition. We cut over to, like, the frame story. story Right, that opening page that we saw. And, Aubrey, you totally called it because the flames in his eyes were as he was talking to Queen Victoria. Right? And and later we're going to see that there's some candles around. The end of his tale is Asquith is locked up at Scotland Yard. He was able to confirm that the Dominion Club is controlled by the Heliopic Brotherhood. And he's sure that they can be brought to justice. But then the queen interrupts him and she's like, oh, we're aware of all your feelings regarding Mr. Swain and the Heliopic Brotherhood. And she's like, who else knows about this investigation? And he's like, well, Dr. Haldine died. Um, Asquith is committed. And Ms. Jewell only knows her part of it. So, you know, I guess that's it. But he's mentioned Swain is still at large. And I believe that until he and the rest of the Heliopic Brotherhood are under lock and key, they continue to pose a threat to the public good, so Liam Neeson's is still out there. Oh, shit. But did you see that Liam Neeson's movie with them wolves, though? The one with them big-ass wolves and Liam Neeson's in it? Liam Neeson's oh. is my Oh, Liam Neeson straight jacked up them man, wolves, man. man. And Gray's like, but when Asquith stands trial, you know, I'm sure that we'll get a lot of information and Swainwell. And she's like, no, you are to drop this matter immediately and never speak of it again to anyone. And he's like, what? And she goes, the official story will be that the fire broke out in Proserpine home. We need to remind you that Lady Evelyn was our personal confidant, nor of our own close connection with the commissioning of the Proserpine home. Were the public to learn that there was any connection between the home and the Whitechapel murders, it would do irreparable damage to the Crown's reputation. And Gray's like, okay, but what about Swain and the Heliopic Brotherhood? What about the innocent women that died at Whitechapel? And what about poor old Bailey? And she's like, well, Asquith will stay in Bedlam. As for Swain and all his fellows, I don't care, she basically says. All the rest of the people that died will be buried anonymously in unmarked graves. Damn, that's fucking harsh. Just like the other poor unfortunates who go missing in the East End with alarming regularity, Gray asks, how many of them have been forgotten for the sake of the crown? 
I love that. Like he doesn't back down. He's like, you're right. gonna answer to me, Queen Victoria. Yeah. Like he, he's not gonna. Yeah. Go, he's not just like, well, okay, I guess that's all right. He's like, he calls her out on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm not concerned about all these people who are dying. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. He's just like, what the shit? We have an entire empire to look after. And cannot concern ourselves with the fall of every sparrow, she says. And so Gray says that he's going to resign effective immediately. And she's like, oh, such a waste of talent. But, you know, you're no longer going to be under our, our protection. And she's like, and I need to remind you, you have your sacred oaths. You can't tell anyone about these matters on pain of death. And Gray says, nor will I to any person living or dead on this side of the grave or beyond. So I want to talk about this a little bit. This is a callback to Hellboy and Hell issue four. When Hellboy, yeah, I was thinking about that. When Hellboy and Ed Gray are hanging out in his house, yeah. Hellboy mentions Ed Gray's backstory, and he says that Gray and the Queen fell out over the Ripper business. And then he asks Gray, so who really was Jack the Ripper? There's a beat, and then Gray says, afraid I'm not at liberty to discuss the details of my service to Her Majesty. To which Hellboy responds, Queen and country right to the end, all right. <laughs> so I like that little line there. But I also think, like, it's interesting because Gray walks away from her. And then as he's walking away, he says, on this side of the grave or beyond. Like, he adds that himself. And I think, like, there's some shame in that. You know what I mean? Like, he has supported the queen and he's been so much about, I'm at the service of her majesty and this and that. And then to find all this out, I think there is some shame in that for him. Like, well, yeah, I mean, he yeah. can no longer... Yeah. Now that he's experienced that on a personal level, that kind of sense of, oh, I don't actually give a shit about any of you. He's kind of like, well, is that something to be proud of? Yeah. Because I'm not proud of that. Yeah. And I've, I really think that that's, um, that's a really interesting step in his character yeah. arc that I am glad that we actually got to see that happened i think that's cool These yeah good it was really good yeah and I, I just thought that was very that was a very important line yeah. i think to his character and to the meaning of this story and this whole thing yeah. you know like I, there's a difference between being proud of your country yeah because it's your country and being proud of the work that you're doing to improve your country yeah. and not just because it's the yeah. country right. so i think that it's like ah for a queen and country and now he's like well if I'm not doing any good, then what fucking good is it to be proud of that? I'm not proud of that. Right, right. So that's really cool. We cut over to Monk's head bar again. They're like, oh, you really can't talk about it? And he's yeah. like, oh, I can't. I don't work for the queen anymore. And all the stuff from my former home is in this suitcase. So what now? And Gray's like, I'm going to stay here in Whitechapel. The authorities have turned their backs on the people for too long. I have no intention of turning my back ever again. When he says, I have no intention of turning my back ever again, there's these people in the background. I couldn't help but notice these people. Right. Are they supposed to be somebody? Because it seems so detailed. It seems so detailed. Is that like Christopher Mitten and Chris Robertson or something like that? Mm -hmm. Or you know what I mean? Like, I was just thinking, like, it, it looks like those, I don't know, maybe I'm just enjoying the characterizations a little too much. But you know how they like to do that. Huh. They'll do yeah. that. Yeah. And he's talking to Sarah Jewell. She's there and she's like, oh. She's living it up. She's having a good old time. She's like, it seems to me I can recall someone saying much the same thing to you in this very establishment not too long ago. That's her. She's yeah. the one who told him that. It's great. And she's I like. I love that her fucking attitude about everything all the time. She's like, <laughs> she's, she'll tell you I told you so while lighting up a cigarette and drinking yeah. a beer. She's my kind of gal. I'll hang out with her any day of the week. I tell you what. 
And Gray's like, ah, I'm not liberty to discuss the events of the past few months, but that doesn't prevent me from still going after Swain and the Heliopic Brotherhood, and that's precisely what I intend to do. Well, why didn't you say so, Jewel says. I wouldn't mind doing a bit of interfering myself. Barkeep, another round for me and my friend Should here. Show. That's such a great panel. And she like she slaps down the her, money. Yeah. That that panel, <laughs> the characterizations are so great right there. I mean, it's just super cute. You know, uh, you can really see the whole attitude and the whole scene just in that one yeah. panel I'm right there. I'm a big fan of that panel. And they turn around, they look at the bar. So this is setting up for the Silver Lantern Club. We know that they're oh, going to be part shit. of the Silver Lantern Club. That And Ed Gray is going to live upstairs. That's another kind of thing that we learned about in Hellboy and Hell. You know, Hell we see yeah. we see Monk's Head Bar drawn by Mignola. It actually has a different Monk's Head on it. Um, but the bar is still there in Hell. And they talk about how Hellboy visited and they said that Ed Gray lived upstairs or something like that. Um, so, yeah, this is going to... You know, so Mark said maybe Ed Gray will continue in another issue. Maybe we're going to get a Silver Lantern Club miniseries or a set of books, which would be amazing, right? Picking up here on this little bar. I would love the idea of a little bar that Ed Gray lives upstairs and they have adventures. You yeah. know what I mean? That's so That cool. sounds awesome. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more about these awesome debriefings that Mark Tweedell did with Christopher Mitten and Chris Robertson. Chris Robertson said, from the beginning, Mike and I agreed that we didn't want to tell the same kind of Jack the Ripper story that readers have seen so many times before. And part of the solution to that was the realization that the murders that we know about from the historical record are only the beginning of the story in the world of Hellboy. And by opening that up and deciding what the real mystery was, what happened next, it allowed us to thread a story through the historical facts of the Ripper murders that then opened up to a bigger scope and we moved into the secret history. Christopher Mitten mentioned that he worked with Chris Robertson already a bunch of times on arcs like Rise of the Black Flame, Rasputin, Voice of the Dragon, and now Witchfinder, The Reign of Darkness. He says, right before each of our arcs, I'm kind of terrified by the setting, wondering if I'm going to be able to make it work or not. But that's the challenge and that's the fun. As soon as I start drawing, though, all the nerves fall away. I relax and begin finding all these wonderful little period details and designs to latch onto and really start having a great time of zeroing in and getting my feel for the place. And always, always, by the time the last issue is finished, I'm sad I have to let it go that my time in this place with these characters has ended. Really cool. Yeah. What, what did you think about that, Aubrey? As someone, you know, you mentioned on the last episode uh, that you... Uh, well, I, I like the fact that they didn't, like, go through the each of the individual murders because... Well, one, they, they were pretty horrific, but two, they have that story has been told time and time again um, by countless different stories and movies and books and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it was it was kind of neat to see it starting after the murders and kind of going from there and then kind of tying it all into the to the Ed Gray Hellboy larger Mignola verse kind of and, and providing their own kind of um, take on the on the story. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in those debriefings as well, I don't have the exact quote, but they said they didn't want Ed Gray to f to fight, quote-unquote, Jack the Ripper. You know what I mean? And it's right. like, yeah. I'm glad they didn't do that. You know, they kind of stuck with the conspiracy theory that it's a it was a group of people all working together, and it's more complex than you could even imagine. There was no Jack. I was kind of worried when he found the vampire in the lab. They were going to oh, be like, right, yeah. oh, and I've been doing all the killings or whatever. They found me on the I'm streets. I'm Jack, you and know, the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> that's me we've did got you see the, my name tag we've, <laughs> we've got this vampire we call him the ripper ah, or something or i don't know uh, you know what i mean yeah. so i'm glad that they kind of didn't yeah. did, they didn't have Ed yeah. Gray face off against the ripper at the end of the sure. story you know there was nothing yeah. like that 
It was far more complex and political. Yeah, in a way that's yeah. super scary, like scarier yes. <laughs> to think yeah. about. You know, and so that's um, it's a good call. And and it is also interesting that they uh, they use the the murders as a starting point for right. their getting their ritual correct. Yeah. Before they go to you know murder all these other women and and you know summon the goddess Hecate. I was still for, waiting for the twist that it was the Queen Victoria and the government behind this shit. Well, they kind of were. I mean, her associates were. Right, but I just mean like they were behind covering it up. No, but yeah, but what I was, I just meant that like. I really was expecting a more direct. Oh, okay. But it was just, it was, and, and it, again, like that's scarier that she was like, you're not going to talk about this. Yeah. And maybe there was a direct. And that's we what I'm saying know. is that yeah, she, she yeah. was like, well, my, my friend, Queen Victoria. She said that, right? And then Queen Victoria is yeah. like, well, she didn't say queen. She said my friend. Exactly. Victoria. And so yeah. then when we got to Queen Victoria, she's yeah. like, yeah, well, oh, well, I guess. I don't care. That's what. it. Yeah. And so like she, She's clearly behind it, but I was still expecting a whole scene where it was like a big review. But it's yeah. like in a way that's better and and scarier and more. Um, I, I I do get what you're saying that this is better than having to have some explanation that we either have to buy or not or you know whatever. Just that implication that she's involved somehow. Well, it's a little more sophisticated. Like it's a little more refined. I okay, guess. it's a little bit more of a. Uh, you know, mysterious thing yeah. where we're left to our own conclusions about that. I kind of like the open-endedness of, of that whole thing. And I like that he, when he resigned, it, there wasn't a huge scene, but there was just that ominous kind of threat yeah, looming yeah. over him. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to start my own. You're taking on the entire, like the most powerful empire in the fucking world. Oh, yeah. Right now. And Gray doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck, yeah. And so it's very, you know... <laughs> So I, I liked that the implication was there, but it wasn't just an outright Scooby-Doo mask off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a very, um, it was good stuff. In the sketchbook section, we get some awesome line art from Christopher Mitten. And we were talking about this a little bit, like how complex this would be to color. I mean, look at some of these scenes where he's like chasing Asquith through the, it just seems like it would be difficult to piece out all those little details of what to color. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, it's really amazing. I love looking at the line art here by Christopher Mitten. And we also get some nice um, drafts of the different covers. We can see some alternate cover sketches. Ultimately, I'm I'm happy with the ones that they ended up going with. I think the concepts that were actually used were probably the best ones. There is this cool one that has... With for the ish- birds? Yeah, with yeah. Hecate, and she's got the two ravens on oh, either no, side of her. Oh, no, I was talking about her. the one with... Um- Ed Gray and these two birds here. It's in color. Oh, that so we did get a cover like that, but the colors were darker. Yeah, this one, I like the kind of watercolory. Oh, okay, that's a cool one. one too. Yeah, yeah. No, I was talking about this one with Hecate. There's like a oh. rough with Hecate, and it's got the two ravens on either Where side. You that? see that? Oh, yeah. Look at that. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's like a cool that one. one. That's cool. We get some different uh, covers for the trade paperback by Tedesco. Ultimately, the one that he went with was amazing. I yeah, really loved that cover. Um, but these other ones are pretty cool, too, man. Yeah, they're, they're great. <laughs> Tedesco has such an amazing style. Like this one in the corner with Ed Gray holding up the talisman. And they're like, you see the birds are in yellow and black. Isn't that neat? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got the lady with all the cuts on her. I guess that's like the Persepina, the diagram or whatever. Good stuff. I really loved this Ed Gray stuff. And um, I'm sad that we're at the end of the Witchfinder stuff. I hope that we get some more Ed Gray soon. 
Um, I hope we get to see more of his crew and Sarah Jewell. And um, I'm also sad that the the Witchfinder theme we we don't you know we won't be able to use it on the our episodes as regular. But um, so at the end of this episode, I'm going to put the whole theme. Uh, at the end of this one, oh, so awesome. you can listen to the whole thing, the awesome composition that was made for us by Andrew Adair. I've loved using it the last couple of weeks, and hopefully we get to use it again in the future. I can't wait to listen to all the listener feedback, and now Aubrey's going to say all the things. Oh, man. We've gotten to the end of the Witchfinder. It was such a fun ride, and I want to hear what you thought of it. You can send us a Hey, you damn guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Garter Harn and Andrew Adair for the music for this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you to Mark for helping uh, set up this uh, reading order. Thank you, John, for being an oh, editing wizard freaking master. And thank you, Danielle. <laughs> for just being your awesome self Mm -hmm. you can find the podcast on podbean apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast from next week we're reading an actual book (laughs) actual book club we're reading hellboy the lost army the prologue in chapters one through four so you know what to do go to the library check out that book see if you can find it at a bookstore but wear a mask if you go out in public also uh you can get the audiobook on audible or hoopla i'm assuming and uh join us next week on the hellboy book club podcast thanks for listening everybody i'm john salinas i'm danielle and I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, Which I was beginning to suspect this was purely a social call. <laughs> yes. particular hinkle pink.